It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the Right. Just love looking at the photos of the beasts uh, that we show each week uh, before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and those wonderful platters of tomatoes that were in there, too. Uh, because it's almost that time to uh, to start thinking about getting your garden uh, going. And that's what we're going to talk about on today's show. Oh, Go- you're, what? Your, your mic just got really loud. Uh, I know. I was, I, was, I was here, and I don't know what I did. It just... Uh, uh, back it off a little bit how's that a little bit you okay a little bit yeah suddenly it was like wow good morning I, I don't know and i just i, I barely touched anything here and well, suddenly he came on he uh, just popped in and your mic went boom yeah well, good morning good morning hello uh how you doing everybody uh Good to have you here, and thank you for watching the show. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies to subscribe to the Mike Novak Show on our YouTube channel. And their enemies. Um, right, right, and and relatives, too, who are usually enemies. Um, so, uh, yeah, have them all subscribe and, and watch the show, or you can listen to the podcast that we put up uh, every week, uh, a couple of days after the uh, the show is streamed live, and uh, we do stream live on YouTube, and that's where we encourage you to go to watch the show. Yeah. Uh, we know we have people watching on uh, Schmetabook and, um, and also on Twitter. Um, those numbers are not as big as the, uh, the, the YouTube, but, um, you're welcome to watch us anywhere and any yeah. way you want to do it. And of course, and as yes, I, I was going to mention, and if you missed last week's show, if you missed the interview with Raj Patel, Oh yeah, that is up by yeah. itself on Facebook. I'm not yeah. on Facebook on YouTube. Yeah. It's on Facebook too, but on YouTube, you, you, if you missed it, or if you ran out to get coffee or you missed something, he said, go back and watch it. Yeah, you should. It's a really, really good interview. He's uh, remarkable. He's a remarkable man. He's a very accomplished guy and does a, 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 a terrific Sir David Attenborough impersonation. Um, and, and, just, and, and Sean Connery. 
So uh, he does he does a little of both. And if you want to see see either one, you have to uh, go back and look at go to YouTube and you can see the uh, interview we did uh, with Raj Patel. Uh, and that, by the way, that reminds us that uh, we're j- this week is the opening of the One Earth Film Festival, and we'll be talking about that uh, a little bit later on. We've got another great film trailer for you to watch later in the show, uh, and uh, we hope that encourages you uh, to go to the One Earth Film Festival. And, and I'm looking at the Wild and Scenic Film Festival, mm-hmm. which is coming up March 11th. Um, that's in Evanston, and uh, that's another one. Evanston Environmental Association. Right. Environmental. Environmental Association. we got to get Bill Curtis on just to do that. Just say the word environment. <laughs> and Lisa Hilkenberg in preview is laughing about that. Uh, we'll, we'll have her on in just a second. And uh, in the... Uh, 10 o'clock hour, we've got some stories that we're going to cover. Um, Bad news out of Skokie, uh, where they approved the uh, Carvana Bird Tower of Death, uh, or Tower of Bird Death. Um, uh, Who knows what's going on in their little... Pez dispenser of... Right, in their tiny, tiny, tiny little brains. Um, uh, I have no idea. Um, And this March 1st is Tuesday, um, and that is the day that Theoretically, the bulldozers could be rolling at Bell Bowl Prairie uh, up by uh, Chicago Rockford International Airport. Um, we'll have a little bit on that. In fact, we'll have something that got sent to me just yesterday uh, from uh, our friend Domenico D'Alessandro, who uh, was on the show to talk about this several months ago. And he brings up a point that nobody else is bringing up, which is what's this going to cost? Um, you know, they keep throwing these numbers around. Well, we have $50 million to do this, but nobody's actually said, what's it actually going to cost to change the grade? Uh, because mm-hmm. there's a, there's a valley there. There's the, the grade changes over, uh, a very short, uh, uh, span. And, um, and he's looking at numbers, uh, and asking questions. And unfortunately the airport authority has not been uh, transparent at all. They're not so, answering any questions. No, they, they're not talking to anybody. They're just playing their cards really close to the vest and we'll surprise you. We'll let you know when the, when the prairie's gone, Hey, we'll say, Hey, see, wasn't that fun? Um, so, uh, we'll be talking about that and some of the other, uh, stories coming up. And of course, meteorologist Rick DeMaio mm-hmm. is here as, as always. And, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I sent him a little note and said, um, here's a couple of things you might want to tweak on your, your tech stuff so we can see if we get less of the dropouts this uh, week. I'm hoping we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm knocking on wood here that uh, something like that happens. So, uh, uh, but he'll be talking about, I guess, meteorological spring, which starts March 1st. Hey, everybody. Um, which I don't like Jimmy Jimmy Stewart impersonating Tom Skilling. Exactly. Jimmy Stewart. Well, no, no, no. Jimmy Stewart would would be like this. I'm I'm doing Tom Skilling. Hey, uh, anyway. Uh, and, and actually had somebody write on, uh, on the Facebook post. I was asking, uh, I I was talking about the weather and they said, well, it comes, you know, spring comes later and later. Yeah. But the meteorologist, label it earlier and earlier they say march 1st that's meteorological spring well there's nothing being planted on march 1st in chicago uh i don't know why they call that meteorological spring well that you know what they're not planting seeds either right now um they're they're who knows what they're doing but uh i don't know but well well, i'll argue i'll argue that with uh rick DeMaio. so why don't we just fade right uh 
to uh, our three-shot, as we say in the business, and that's Lisa Hilgenberg, horticulturist at the Regenstein Fruit and Vegetable Garden at the Chicago Botanic Garden. Good morning, Lisa. I'm in a screen sandwich between the two of you, and it's so nice <laughs> to be here. It's great to see you all. It's great hey, to be Lisa. anywhere, yeah. really. Uh, and great to see you all. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> last year. And, and as you can see, if... Uh, if we go to uh, the wide shot, she's got her orchids there. In in the you're in the blue room. It looks like I know it's white, but it's coming across as kind of blue this morning. That's it's between blue and green, I think. But there's a lot of sunshine in this room, and it's nice to be in this room during the morning. I'm usually at work at the garden. Um, yeah. Do you work Sundays at the garden? You know, in years past, we've worked during the season, we've worked every day of the week. It just depends on what's going on and any programming that might be happening. But yeah, in the days of the seed swap, we did work on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, But now my schedule is Monday through Friday, and I'm there every day until about three o'clock. Because as we know, plants uh, grow from nine to five, generally, uh, (laughs) uh, uh, on Monday through Friday, and then they stop uh, over the weekend. So you don't have to worry about them. It's it's uh, 24-7 during the season, and we're so excited. March is approaching, and it's such a nice time of year before the works really starts, and we're sort of able to gather, um, I don't know, just the tools and the tricks of the trade and kind of get everything set. I'm organizing things in the office. I've been um, uh, sharpening all, all of my tools and, of course, <laughs> taking care of all the snow that we've had recently, which is good for the plants for the most part, other than besides the flooding and the ice that's happened. Uh, but the snow has been good. And, um, you know, we're doing all kinds of winter pruning. So just pruning plants when they're dormant and getting things sort of shaped up and cleared out for the spring. So we're excited. Uh, would you come over to my place and sharpen my tools as well? Uh, that. <clears throat> That's not something I got some pruning that, that needs to get done too. Yeah, okay. Yeah, really. We've we've got all kinds of tasks for you if you wanna if you wanna help out. Um what we should do is 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 start by explaining not agreeing for that. I didn't get to answer that, Mike. I oh. you know we're our job is to educate it so that home gardeners and people like yourselves can do those kinds of tasks at home. And so come to the garden and I'd be glad to to do a little tutorial on sharpening a pruners properly or um, pruning fruit trees. I think there's some classes too on the website that um, are involved. Both those topics are involved in well, in. I'm I'm glad you said that because I actually have a link uh, on my blog post. If you go to mikenovak.net and uh, go to this week's blog. Um, yeah. there's a link to the horticultural classes at the Chicago Botanic uh-huh. Garden. Uh, and there are a ton of them, <clears throat> including a couple, yeah. several classes you'll be teaching over yeah. the course of the season, right? I am going to teach um, several classes at the uh, Joseph Frankenstein School of the Botanic Garden. And one is a series of three classes on organic vegetable gardening. And the first one is on April 2nd. Um, you can sign up on the website. Um, there's one on May 18th, which will um, be uh, summer in the organic vegetable garden. And we're timing those so that you can take the class and then uh, incorporate some of the tricks and, and ideas into your garden uh, to get up and running. And then there's an organic gardening for fall in the autumn on uh, mm-hmm. August 17th. And then I'm, there's a new class called Troubleshooting Tomatoes. I did it last year, actually. So for the first time, so it'll be year two. And it was a well-received class in June, mid-June, June 15th. 
Yeah. yeah. So just see some spots, and, spots starting on your tomatoes. <clears throat> some are on Zoom, right? And others are live again? That's true. Yes. Some are still on Zoom. And I think classes have started, um, you know, in-person classes are, are back at the Botanic Garden. So the, these happen to be on Zoom. Yeah, you know, and yeah. and of course you're going to do one on tomatoes because everybody wants to know about tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, there are probably people who are are going to start planting their tomato seeds today, and you would tell them what, Lisa? It's too early. It's too <laughs> early to start your tomatoes. Everybody's chomping at the bit to get out in the yep. in the garden, and a nice way to start is what you're doing, Mike, is starting some things under lights that you know in your basement or in a sunny window um, uh, in your um, home. It's time to start thinking about that. But choosing varieties is very important. Making sure that you're starting plants like spinach, um, some of the plants that take a little bit longer to germinate can be started inside and then put out in the garden at the right time. So spinach is one that is perfect to start inside now. What? Okay. What? Uh, but you can also sow spinach outdoors, right? Yes, so. you can. Um, yeah. It's all about temperature and spinach responds to day length. And so as the days get longer, the varietals change a little bit over over the season. So it's important to start with the right varieties. And you and I have talked about this in the past. Um, if you go into the University of Illinois website, or you go into a grower's resource like Johnny's Selected Seed, where you mm-hmm. can pull up a beautiful spinach um, sowing chart, you can see that there are different varieties that are appropriate for different times in the year. So um, choosing the spinach variety is really, really important. Um, again, spinach responds to day length, and it also, um, you know, long days, the spinach will start to bolt, which um, means it's trying to go to seed, and the the taste changes of spinach, and so it's important to um, plant it at the right time. There are a couple different ways to plant spinach, Mike. I know you're working on this at home. Um, are you going to plant it as sort of a, um, a multi-sow um, spinach um cut and come again type spinach, or are you going to grow um, single plants? And so spacing in the vegetable garden is really important. And well, okay, explain that first one, the first one to me. What, what, what's the difference between like, those like two you techniques? Would do with lettuce. Exactly. So baby leaf spinach, um, if you're going to grow sort of a, um, a row type spinach, yeah. um, three to five seeds per inch would be perfect. And you can cover those with. Okay, okay. Like say that again. You you dropped out just as you gave us the number. What? How many per oh, inch? Three to five seeds per inch. Okay. So that would be great speed, you know, spacing. And so just a little, little bit of wiggle in your fingers and along the row. That would be a really nice way to sow those spinach seeds and a half inch deep. That's really, really shallowly planted. Much more shallow yeah. than we think. And, and that's, again, me, that's for baby spinach for for a cut and recut type of garden. Exactly. Yep, exactly. For plants that you'd like to grow um, as single um, one harvest plants, um, spinach will respond better if it has a little more space in the garden. So mm-hmm. it's going to be there a little bit longer and you can sow maybe um, 10 seeds per foot. So more an inch apart. And then you can harvest selectively as those plants mature, you can harvest every other one and the the spinach that's in between will continue to grow. Um, So it's very space um, 
Yeah. Hi, my. Oh, wow. Hello. This is our, our one of our. Whoops. I guess I should pull a microphone over. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that would help. Uh, this is a spinach plant that we've been growing um, hydroponically. Uh, and oh. we have some that we started hydroponically and then put into uh, soil. But this is a, a little spinach plant that's been going for a while. In fact, it's probably going to bolt pretty soon, which means I was hoping it, it would hang on long enough so I could put it outside. Uh, but yeah. we'll probably have to start uh, some more plants uh, because it's gonna it's gonna bolt on us, um, and it's amazing how fast they bolt uh, indoors yeah. too. And uh, well, and you can cool them, cool them off a little bit, keep them well watered, moist soil, and then um, keeping temperatures cool and uh, but we you know, do on the day length. Well, we, the we, we do though. Our house is sixty three in the day, fifty five at night, so it's still pretty cool. Or is it? Does it need yeah. to be even much cooler than that? Well, I think that's probably okay inside. I think outside spinach will germinate at 35 degree soils. So wow. when you're serving spinach inside, avoid the heat mat and um, just start spinach in, in very cool soils. So it's almost time to direct sow it in the garden. You know, two months um, before the last frost is, is about right, six weeks. So, like uh, that. and, and that's the mistake I have always made. And by the way, I want to, I want to pop this back up because, uh, and Peggy, uh, if you could pop this on the chat, um, this uh, chart from, uh, the university of Illinois extension, uh, when should I plant? And it's, it's hard to read here, but, uh, it's got pretty much everything. And you have to take into account your microclimate. You have to take into account, are you uh, in the north part of Illinois, the central part, or the southern part of Illinois? Because they're trying to cover the whole state uh, when they um, give advice. Um, and uh, so those are all considerations. But you're, the mistake I think I have made is I, I wait too long. Um, and, yeah. and part of the problem, and I'll tell you part of the problem, is because I don't have a dedicated vegetable garden. I have a small, my tiny little lot here in Logan Square, um, and it's got my perennials, and it's got my shrub trees and shrubs, and it's got, um, it's uh, it, it's got my little area. And mainly, in when I grow vegetables, I integrate it among all of the perennials, uh, which means that I'm often waiting to clean up the. Um, uh, the, the, the debris, because I want the insects to use it uh, to go into spring. You leave the leaves, as, as they say, and it gives a place for uh, insects to overwinter. So I'm loath to, to just get it out there and put the vegetables in. So come the early part of March, I'm still protecting those insects. Um, how do I deal with that and try to plant spinach? How about a pot? Just how about just direct sowing a pot? You can put very fertile um, seed starting mix just on a on a layer of a layer of seed starting mix on a pot of potting soil because okay. seed starting mix is very expensive and you don't need to use the whole pot full. Um, and then um, just again direct sow it, uh, sprinkle it over the top of that, and um, keep it moist. You're able to sort of move that around as the sun changes and as trees um, leaf out. And a pot of spinach is easy to do. I've done it uh, year after year in my backyard. Um, and then you can thin them out as they come up. Again, they don't want too much competition. So um, I would try that, Mike. Or if you have raised beds or maybe you have a roof on your garage. 
Uh, not our garage. Uh, we we have a roof on the garage, but uh, we're not getting up on on that garage. No, 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 no way that's happening. No, 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 no. There's there's an old joke about grandma's on the roof. That's uh, we're not uh, we're we're not doing that one. Um, yeah. But but uh, there are places we could put it, and that's the other issue that we have. And this is something you have need to think about when you're growing vegetables: is where's the sun? Uh, we my backyard is on the northern side of my house. At this point, which is good because by the time we get to the end of February, about half the yard is in sun. The other half is still in eternal darkness. Um, And it's tough to plant sun-loving plants uh, in that area where the sun hasn't come yet. So I can't even begin to use parts of the yard for another month or so. Um, and, And this is something you need to think about, right? Totally. You, you really do. And as the season changes, that sunlight will change. You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, there's some crops that the shallow rooted leafy greens, some of the um, mizunas and arugula um, uh, lettuce, very shallow rooted, and you can grow those in a little bit more shade. The peas and beans would be also peas for spring, beans for um, summer. Those would be crops that you could grow uh, in a little bit more shade. Swiss chard, um, another, <clears throat> but again, some of the fruiting crops need, you know, as much sunlight as you can give them, uh, 12 to 14 so the leaf, hours a day. Yeah, right. The, the leafies, <clears throat> you can get away with that. And I'll, I'll tell you, we are, our plan this year is to rescue some of the earth boxes that have been sitting in the garage oh. for a few years. And I think those would be great for, uh, some of those leafy products. Absolutely. And they're beautiful to look at. And, you know, you can think about successively planting those so you can keep your kitchen in, in all kinds of different um, obscure microgreens and greens. So just keep planting, harvest something out, or if it was spotty germination, pull it out and start with an, a fresh planting of another seed. No question about it. So, so there's a question for you right there as far as germination on seeds go. Um, if you've got <clears throat> seed hanging on to for a while, what's a good rule of thumb for how long you would use an old bag of seeds? Well, seeds have different viabilities, so they they don't last forever unless they're in Svalbard, of course. But we hope. Um, but I think vegetable seeds, if they've been stored properly, they're you know in the bottom drawer of your desk or in a temperature neutral, humidity neutral place. <clears throat> and if they've been stored properly, um, they you can really. I put together a little chart at the Botanic Garden that we can look at with um, what those dates are. So tomatoes will last five, six, seven years of seed viability if they're stored properly. Um, Onions, uh, lettuce, parsnips, a little bit less. Onions and parsnips, you need to buy new every year. I would suggest for spotty germinators like spinach, it takes, you know, seven to 14 days to germinate. I would say you want to make sure that you are purchasing fresh seed um, every year. Um, spinach is tricky to save seed from as well. There are male and female plants and um, females produce the seed and there are all kinds of different um, techniques to do that. So spinach is a little a little trickier to grow and it's all about the timing in the garden. It, and that's, I'm glad you say that because uh, traditionally I have not had good experience with uh, growing spinach. In fact, uh, this is like stunning to me that it's, that it looks this great. Um, It looks fantastic. Absolutely. It looks like an older plant that you've been harvesting off of, you know, a few times. Yeah. And it's not that old, um, but you know, it's under our happy leaf grow lights and uh, we love 
<laughs> Got to give them a ding there um, because we love uh, these grow lights and they, and they work uh, fantastically. Um, but outside I have not. And I think part of it has to do with sun under the happy leaf. Yeah. I'm getting consistent light and outdoors uh, where I've grown my spinach, it's not been as consistent. And I have a feeling that might have had something to do with it. Absolutely. And, you know, just when plants come up and they're very weak little seedlings, um, give them a drink of uh, uh, liquid fertilizer, like fish emulsion or <clears throat> something that's that you can just sort of uh, pour on the foliage. And that'll sort of boost um, strength. Carrots, the same thing. They're so weakly um, rooted at that point. And that's a great technique just after after plants come up and they're about an inch tall. You were saying, um, you were saying carrots. <clears throat> carrots would be another, that's yeah. a more advanced crop to grow well. And yeah. unless you have perfect soil and perfect timing and germination, we think of it as a spring crop, but really, you know, it need we need to wait a little bit longer on carrot and grow, you know, start that about May 1st. Really? Just okay. when you would put it on the ground. Yeah. Because if there's a frost, those baby, um, those little tiny seedlings are very vulnerable to frost damage. And mm-hmm. if they are damaged, then they can't photosynthesize and they can't grow well. So keep keeping spring crops growing well with the moisture that they need, never letting them struggle is a way to sort of move into the spring garden. I saw a uh, tip uh, from somebody. It might have been our friends, uh, the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardeners, who are not called the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardeners anymore, and I can't remember what they call themselves now. Um, but the idea is when sprinkling seeds for carrots, maybe because you need them to germinate, and you need to get them to germinate, you need that consistent moisture, put a, a, a thin layer of newspaper and keep that hydrated uh, over the top of them. And then as you, when you begin to see them germinate, you can pull it off and go back to re- regular watering. Have you heard of something like that? You know, I've I've explored a few ways to use newspaper in the garden, and I think part of um, what comes into play for us anyway is um, whether the ink is soy-based, yeah. um, if it's organic. And <clears throat> so thinking about that, I thought maybe was the New York Times um, soy-based. I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> if the New York uh, but, Times yeah, isn't yeah, organic. Most, most it's not organic. Yeah. Most are. But I think, I think um, generally speaking, even just um, – a little layer of, um, I, we don't use anything on carrot at all. Um, they're so vulnerable. You have to really have that timing down. If those plants are trying to come up into wet, soggy, heavy newspaper, that yeah. wouldn't be um, ideal. So, um, but you know, a floating row cover? A floating row cover would be something that could repel insects or um, pests that could, um, and also, also create a little bit warmer. Excuse me, Peggy. And, and keep a little moisture in as well, and, as opposed to the yeah. heavy newspaper. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we got a, uh, by the way, that's uh, Lisa Hilgenberg. You know, I, I don't do this enough, uh, especially for folks on the podcast. Um, Lisa Hilgenberg, uh, the horticulturist at the uh, Chicago Botanic Garden. Uh, we've got some questions coming in. Folks, uh, you're welcome to give us your questions. Um, I think a couple of points that you just made. One of them, uh, a comment is, happy 50th anniversary to the Chicago Botanic Garden. And, Isn't that uh, exciting? Yeah. So mm-hmm. you guys are celebrating that um, this year. Um, uh, I was uh, talking to Julie uh, about that uh, at the, at the garden 
Um, she says that uh, there will be a an event called Flourish the Garden at 50, which is going to happen, I guess, later in the season. That's true. Um, uh, I think Garden Wide will be celebrating with some indoor uh, exhibits and events that will recall the history of the Botanic Garden um, on this particular site for the last 50 years. And we'll look forward to the next 50 years of um, welcoming visitors um, to the Botanic Garden. Um, we've planned a beautiful, um, at least in the fruit and vegetable garden, um, gold exhibit. So there will be lots of plants that um, are either gold flowered, gold foliaged, um, just in celebration of that 50th anniversary. And I think it's fun to sort of look at how we plan these things. We plan on a PowerPoint um, uh, presentation like this, and these are all the plants that are going to be growing uh, for the next um you know, months in the summer. So lots of um, lots of uh, key plants that have <clears throat> uh, gold and yellow fruit and um, peppers and sunflowers and, and things that will be highlighting our 50th anniversary. So we hope that everyone will come out and see that and help us celebrate. And I tried to get a, a, a copy of that chart there, but Lisa said uh, her, <laughs> her her lawyers would come after me in a heartbeat if I, oh, no. if I got anywhere near that. Uh, no, um, I know. Um, but uh, before we break here, uh, very quickly, we've already started talking about certain plants. I want to get into some more, uh, especially the early ones and how to get your garden going. But this is a, an organic garden, uh, the Regenstein Fruit and Vegetable Garden, correct? Well, we're not certified organic, um, no. according to the USDA, but we are following those protocols um, when possible. So we are using um, organic uh, bio-rational pest control, organic fertilizers. We're using uh, techniques of crop rotation um, and certainly bed prep, um, no-till or low-till um, uh, agriculture. So we are, <clears throat> again, not certified. Um, we are a museum and we're, we're displaying these plants and then they're harvested and um, uh, eventually aggregated by the Windy City Harvest uh, program. And um, then many of them come back to our cafe at the Chicago Botanic Garden um, to the plates of visitors and um, people interested in, in heirloom crops and, and hybrid crops alike. So yeah, these are, it's fun to see these pictures, Mike, of, um, <clears throat> of the garden last year, the 2021 uh, fruit and vegetable garden, pots of edible crops growing around a little pool and pergola um, it's such a nice, exciting place to be. That's Autumn Frost, which is a beautiful um, small butternut uh, squash that is um, wonderful new breeding. It's uh, sort of a medium length vine. Um, it's very productive in the garden. Um, we're happy to grow that. It's sort of a ribbed round fruit that ripens with that sort of dusky, um, caramely colored um, shell. Cool. Um, yeah, it sounds yes, wonderful. We'll you know, I wish I had room to grow pumpkins. I know because the problem is they'll take over your yard. <laughs> and uh, if you want to grow anything else, uh, you got you better have some room to, to throw grow them up pumpkins. your fence. Um, I suppose I could. Uh, I, I'll try that. We're we, we're ac actually going to take down part of the the fence this year to get a little more light in. I think that's going to help us, uh, especially with some of the spring crops. So, all right, uh, we need to take a short break. Uh, we'll be back with Lisa Hilgenberg from the Chicago Botanic Garden. Please send us your comments on, on the chat. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll try to answer any questions that we can. It's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back.
So this is a very simple PAR meter, and I'm going to measure the PAR value of this fluorescent light, which was purchased at a Home Depot specifically for growing um, and advertised as a seed starting light. Minimally for PAR value for just seed starting, so just to the seedling stage, you want a minimum of 80, really. Um, 75 to 100 will do the trick. I would say 100 to 150 is far better. Um, but right now, at about a foot above the plants, uh, we're getting 49. So now we're going to, let me plug in our happy leaf light. This is our 17-inch Procyon 2.0, um, and it's a really great all-around light. Um, they also come in 33-inch lights, which I have set up here, which is where I'm going to actually put my seed flat. Let's get it about a foot over. I'm getting a value of 335. My name is Megan Kosensky and I'm a plant health care specialist and a grounds person at Bartlett Tree Experts. It's no secret that the world of arboriculture is a male-dominated industry, but there is a fearless group of women out there that are determined to change that, and I'm really proud to be one of those women. Bartlett has been really great about recognizing any kind of roadblocks for different genders, different races, people of different nationalities, and just kind of taking a bulldozer to all of those roadblocks. Every day that I go to work, I find something new that I love about what I do. Every tree needs a champion. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from Tinyo Biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star also offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks and great techniques at blazing-star.com. <laughs> and welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And there she is, uh, slipping Hello. right into the seat. Hello, there's uh, Lisa Hilgenberg from the Chicago Botanic Garden. Uh, we have a couple of quick things. Uh, there was a question on the chat about whether there's going to be a Chicago Flower and Garden Show this year. And the answer is no. Um, that's kind of done. As far as Peggy and I know, we've talked to Tony Abruscato, who ran it for many years. And the... Um, the pandemic and the idea that, you know, and it's such a difficult thing to put together, the two things sort of uh, combined to put the kibosh uh, on the flower and garden show. Mm -hmm. So that means you got to go to places like the Chicago Botanic Garden yeah. to see your flowers and see your, and see them in the wild, sort of. And, and the Get Growing Foundation, which is mm -hmm. was part of Chicago Botanic Garden, does have Plant Truck Chicago. Right. So I know you can. You can go check their website to see where the plant truck's going to be. Right. And uh, and we had had a question whether there was a cost uh, for the classes. Thank you, Peggy, for answering that. Yeah, you, they're not free, um, but they're not that expensive either. And uh, when you're when you got somebody like Lisa teaching, you're getting a lot of great information. So uh, just keep that. And if you're a member, it's less. All right. So that's yeah. a, a, another reason to become yeah. a member of. There's a variety of membership options and some restructured ones this year too. So, yeah, if you're going to take 
a lot of classes. Yeah, check into that. And uh, our friend Christine uh, says she's starting some cold crops today. Thanks for the spinach tips. Uh, and, and and thank you, Lisa, because I'm going to do that. I'm going to put them in containers, I think, uh, this year and, and get them started outside and see if I can't do a little better than I have in the past. But that leads us to the question I wanted to ask you. What else is, you know, what is what uh, should people be thinking about right now? And what, you know, often we tell people, please don't compact the soil in your garden in the spring especially if it's moist. Now, we're we're still uh, according to meteorologist Rick DeMaio in kind of a drought-ish situation here. We're in between normal and drought. If you go north and northwest, there's there's more drought uh area. But still, we have not had uh, a lot of rain uh or snow. And uh that's that's always an issue with soil moisture in the spring. But especially if it's if we've had a lot, you want to be careful that you're not smushing down the uh, the soil because once you compact it, it's really hard to uncompact, isn't it? It's true. Um, you're absolutely right about that. And it is hard to believe that we're still in sort of a drought situation given the ice that's sort of underlying in the grassy areas and, and catching all the water. It doesn't look like we're <clears throat> in a drought situation. Um, it's just a good time, and I'm not going to say I told you so, but just a good time to recognize the value of fall gardening, the fall bed prep that goes in to get ready for spring. Um, we don't have to muck around in the wet, sticky spring soils if we've done some of those um, composting and broad forking or <clears throat> pitchforking, turning the soil in the fall. Um, if you have not done those types of things, um, a quick rake over the top to clear away any debris that would be on the soil, um, any sand in our case, we use that on the on the slippery pass, um, any debris that's blown into your vegetable beds, get that off first, and then um, wait for the right time. Don't muck around when the soil is just entirely too wet. Um, wait until things dry out a little bit. And then use a pitchfork and really dig down and... Uh, barely lift. Um, it's more about aerating the soil. So if you're walking on the same path through your garden each time, that's important. So you're not compacting the area where you'll be growing vegetables. Um, so all good points, Mike, um, that you make. All right. So what other uh, plants are you thinking about at this time of year that you want to get going and not miss the window of opportunity? Absolutely. Um, I think collards, um, and kale, the brassicas, um, are really about four to six weeks from seeding in a tray inside to planting out into the garden. And they're the, some of the earliest crops that can go out into the garden. Um, collards, kale, cabbage, um, Brussels sprouts, certainly. Um, we prefer to grow Brussels sprouts in the fall, um, maturing into the fall. So starting those June 1st in the garden and having them mature around Thanksgiving. Um, but those cool season crops, um, there's this, the group of crops that you can put directly by seed in the garden, radish, spinach, lettuce, and you would wait just, you know, till mid-March to the end of March and then um, on into April um, to plant some of those uh, by seed crops. Um, uh, so it's time to start thinking about um, 
<clears throat> peas, don't plant peas too early. Carrots, not too early, but getting that timing right is really important. Many seeds have trouble because they start to rot in the ground if the soil is too moist. And so you want to make sure to wait until um, things have, have dried out just so. So vegetable gardeners are really weather watchers. It's so important to go out and, and dig in the soil, see what's going on beneath the surface of the soil. You need to get dirty to do that, get a soil knife and really dig around in the garden and see what's going on. You'll have much better success. Um, and you can tuck in a little row of something just to sort of get the, um, your, your creativity started flowing and, and whet your appetite for vegetable gardening yeah. without getting the whole thing ready. So um, anticipate getting this ready, but all the time watching your little first radish crop come up. What what about herbs? Parsleys and, and others, when's a good time to plant those? Um, parsley is um, certainly, you can plant that with some cold temperatures. So into early May, you could probably put parsley in the ground. Um, I think that cilantro would be a great one to start early. Uh, chervil can take some cold but there are a whole slew of herbs that prefer much warmer temperatures. Right. So basil, think about. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But, but, mean, but cilantro, just... and cilantro, when you're talking about cilantro, the warmer it gets, the more likely it is to bolt. Right. So cilantro is an annual, and it goes from seed to seed each year. So that is what the plant is made to do, and it'll bolt to coriander seed. And then you can save those seeds very easily, or it will just self-sow and start the next crop of cilantro. Again, one that's very um, much uh, related to the temperatures in the soil. Um, it's not the air temperatures, but it's the temperatures of the soil. So it's a cool season crop. It can be started very, very early. And then it doesn't grow in the, in the hot summer. So just start another succession in the fall. Um, some of those, that's a great message for uh, spring gardeners too, is just keep successively. If you miss the first week, it's still too cold and wet start the next week and start the same crop again. Keep successively planting those crops through the season. You're bound to get the timing right through through that strategy. We have a what, question. What about uh, chives and alliums? Yeah, and, and I want to bring that up because you mentioned to me the other day, Lisa, you're having trouble getting a hold of the seed for your favorite chive. Yeah, it's interesting in the seed market, but um, Peggy, to answer your question about the, the chives, yes, certainly. So chives are uh, perennial, and so those are crops that we grow all year long, and we grow those as great companions in the garden. They're, um, they keep pests away, and they're um, easily dividable in early spring, so you can create sort of a fencing effect around um, a, a area that you might be growing cabbages in this year. Um, chives are a great uh, plant useful plant, flowers, foliage, all of that. So forgiving and easy to grow. Yeah, um, and yeah, totally. And Mike, as far as the seed industry, um, we're having to sub a lot of crops that we have counted on for years. And one of my favorite chives, Nira chives, was unavailable from a seed vendor recently. And I don't know um, if our production department has found it not or, or not yet. Um, but there's such a demand for organic crops right now. And I think um, just in the grocery store, you can you can see that demand. And I think there are um, a lot more varieties of organic produce available, but there's less seed available, meaning that they're harder to get. And so for a home gardener, um, that can be very frustrating. Um, so seed saving is certainly something that's exciting to think about. 
Um, there's, so there's lots of subbing in, in our vegetable gardens. Usually seed vendors will suggest something that's um, suitable for the time of year that you're interested in um, planting that crop. Um, the other thing that's so interesting in the seed industry is all the vendors that are selling finished plants. So you can buy tomatoes that are completely finished and they'll come in a little box or wrapper and you can plant those directly in your garden when the timing is right. So the vendor tries to match up your um, area um, and the zone, the gardening zone that you're in um, to send the plants at the right time, um, which to me is very, very interesting. I don't have a lot of experience in buying um, uh, vegetable plants from a, a vendor, um, we usually grow those in-house in our production department at the Chicago Botanic Garden. Um, but for home gardeners who don't have access to maybe some varieties they might want, um, an heirloom, for instance, you can get those. Um, Seed Savers Exchange is a great resource. Um, we plant a lot of bare root fruit and things that we get mail order or shipped. Um, so that's a whole nother matter. Uh, there's so many, so many things going on here. Uh, a couple, a couple of comments. One very funny one. I'm no cilantro hater up there. Yeah, we've got, we've got. <laughs> William says cilantro is a vile and evil plant and should not be encouraged to propagate invasive and does not belong even in the compost pile. Okay, uh, uh, tell us how you really feel, William, about that. Um... <laughs> I think some people think it tastes like soap. And so you either love cilantro or you hate it. And many people have frustration growing it because they plant it in the summer and they think of herbs going in the garden in the summer. But all plants have varying tolerances to different temperatures. So yeah. cilantro is best grown very early in the spring and again in the cool of the autumn. And you mentioned chives, uh, a couple of plants. Uh, chives, we've had ornamental chives in the yard for a long time. And I don't even remember where I got them or what variety they are. And just a few years ago, I realized I can cut those and throw them in my salad. And there's a double uh, use for them. Uh, they bloom and they're gorgeous. And then as they and they'll send up new stalks, they won't bloom mm -hmm. again. Um, and uh, I get the fresh fall sometimes. But May, well, you, and, and you can you can throw the blooms in your salad. You can make put the blooms in vinegar. And yeah, make a chai vinegar. It's just so much you can do with them. And and you were talking about parsley. Okay, my experiment, my grand experiment based on something Peggy did last year. Um, I took one of those, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the big plastic containers you put clothes and whatever else in that you get at the container store. Um, I took a couple of them and put them upside down. One over uh, some chard and uh, uh, one over the uh, parsley. Uh, uh, like three days ago, I harvested parsley for uh, our mashed potatoes, and it's a little floppy, but it ain't dead. Um, it, I think it's going to make it through the winter, and I, I'm just stunned that uh, this beautiful parsley plant uh, is still viable. Um, and because I put this stupid little container over the top of it for the winter. Good season extension, Mike. That's fantastic. Yeah, That's I'm going to do that some more. And I haven't actually looked at the uh, chard. It's uh, I forget uh, what it's called. Kathleen would would know. It's uh, I think it's baby chard. And um, you know, if they make it. And the other thing we've done because um, I'm looking at Pat, Patsy, who says we had a fabulous harvest from under the grow lights over the past two winters of spinach and Roman lettuce. Um, and 
one of the things I did last year, we grew some kale inside in, in, in our, under our happy leaves. I took them outside in the spring, put them in the garden, and those guys went nuts uh, for the, mm-hmm. the whole season. So we had a head start on the kale because we had grown it indoors. And then you take it outside, and when it gets a little warmth and some soil, um, mm-hmm. it just rocked, and the leaves were huge and beautiful. And, uh, the, you know, that's another reason to start indoors because you get a head start on your garden in the outdoors. Totally. You're absolutely right. And kale, as, as long as you continue to harvest from the bottom of the plant and you take the lower leaves off, the growth tip will continue to grow. So it's, um, you know, you don't cut the plant in the middle of the plant with a pruners. You just sort of push the leaves down and they pop off very easily. Um, that's Those are great vegetable stories. Thanks for sharing those. <laughs> Veggie tales, I guess. Uh, and, and Deb wants to know uh, what happened to her chive because after six years it it didn't come back last year but uh even perennials have lifespans don't they yeah they do totally um it may have been too wet um somebody might have dug it you know dug it up which is maybe rare but um yeah it it just it's it was finished so it's easy to start chives again in the garden i even overwinter some herbs in just terracotta pots I cut them back severely in the fall and I put them in my garage, which is unheated. And I can pull those out in the spring and the chives regrow every year um, from those terracotta pots. I, I have um, the chives. I just garden. put them in the big grower pots, cover them with, with leaves. I, I, I literally have chive pots that have been growing since about 1990. Seriously. Oh my yeah. goodness. You're a great grower. Put them in other pots and... Can you share some with the person who, who, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and what I was going to say to Deb is if somebody else has chives, most people, not most, but a lot of people thin them out I because they can get yeah. bigger and get them from someone else. And, and sometimes they pop up in other parts of the yard. So, uh, and, uh, yeah, I've, yeah. I've got chives all over the place, so I can harvest them from, just from almost anywhere. Sort of harvest them, you know, grab the whole bunch of chives together like a ponytail and just take either a little harvest knife or a pruners and cut the whole thing off. And flowers or no flowers, stick the flowers in olive oil or vinegar and eat the rest. Um, and you can chop chives and save those in a bell jar, or a ball jar um, for sprinkling on your potatoes if you're not, um, able you to go in the garden them. and harvest in the winter, freeze them totally. Yeah. All right. So um, we we've kind of gone over this, and I and I want to just get anything we missed yeah, before. And we because, do have to. We do need to talk about the orchid show. Too. Right. Exactly. That's why I wanted to make sure that yeah. we've we've covered everything here. Um, I think the the main question most people are going to have, and you've already addressed this, but maybe once again, just to reiterate what you said is. The difference between sowing indoors and out and which our vegetables are going to benefit best from indoor sowing versus the ones uh, in outdoors. All root vegetables would be sown directly in the garden. That's a good rule of thumb. Plants that don't like their roots disturbed, corn, squash, watermelons, all directly sown in the garden. That's easier and best. Um, However, you balance that with the length of season that some of these crops need. Um, mm-hmm. Watermelon's very long season, so we tend to um, tend to start that inside and then thin those multi-sowed blocks once we get them out to the garden. For gardeners today, um, think about getting radish and spinach and lettuce um, ready to go in the garden. Some of the coal crops, uh, brassicas, broccoli, um, can take a whole lot of cold, um, but those need to be started inside. So some of the smaller, shallow-rooted crops like 
uh, lettuce and spinach can be directly sown in the garden uh, very soon. Um, to start inside would be the longer season crops, Brussels sprouts, collards, kale. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the kales, Mike, and how all the new interesting breeding that's happening with kale and um, some of those reddish varieties. Um, Dazzling blue is one that we love, and scarlet is another with a beautiful pink midrib. Um, and there's a whole slew of interesting plants that you'll see this year at the Botanic Garden. We're really excited to grow the Kitchen Minis series of tomatoes and peppers from Ball Horticultural Company here in West Chicago. Um, and those are crops that are um, small little tomato cultivars that can be grown on a patio table. So you, like you, maybe you don't have the right space to grow a tomato in the ground. You can grow a Kitchen Mini. Um, they're small, indeterminate plants. So um, we'll, we'll look forward to dwarf, those. Are those dwarf varieties or a different Type of I think breeding is, is a little different. They're not necessarily full-sized tomato plants. They're cherry tomatoes in a very dwarf plant. So just an eight-inch plant. They're um, found in four to six-inch pots. Um, there's one called Coco, um, which has a little um, darker, dusky um, colored cherry tomato. And then there's um, another called Red Velvet. And literally, they're the most charming um, tiny little plants that would be beautiful even on a kitchen window sill. So um, I'm really anxious to grow some of those, um, those crops. And where can you get those? Do you know? You know, I'm hoping garden centers everywhere. Um, I, I think that's a question that we could get back to you on, but I'm hoping that you'll be able to see them in the next year or two at the Chicago Botanic Garden. So you can come and check them out and see, um, see you know, what you think they'd be suitable for a window box, um, a raised bed, um, but tiny, um, small statured plants and you can, you know, no garden, no problem. I mean, that's sort of the, um, yeah. Thought. And what are they called again? The kitchen mini minis, kitchen minis. Okay. Kitchen minis. Keep your eyes out for that folks. Uh, you did mention one thing and before we get to orchids, uh, broccoli, everybody loves broccoli. I mean, or well, some people don't like broccoli. I can't even imagine what's wrong with them if they don't like broccoli, um, <laughs> Um, but, um, broccoli is another one that I found is tricky to grow. Why is that? Uh, again, probably day length related and timing in the garden. I think again, um, the coal crops, the brassicas really shut down if they're left in their plastic containers too long. So if you go to a garden center and you find a flat of broccoli that you'd like to, um, grow in your garden, it's best to ask the, um, the garden center professional, how long has this plant, you know, been in their um, facility? If it's something that's been there for two months, those broccoli roots have completely shut down because they can't push out of that plastic any wow. further. Broccoli and, and coal crops need to be kept actively growing and they need a very fertile, um, fertile garden area. And they, you know, they, that's why it's so good to grow them at home in your basement, start a few broccoli starts in the basement at four to six weeks, Mike, put them out into your garden and they can take, um, you know, mid to late March uh, temperatures. So they're very frost tolerant. They're some of the hardiest crops. Well, you and then two mid broccoli to late like calabrese. calabrese would be a really great variety. I'm sorry? Um, calabrese, which is sort of a sprouting broccoli. Um, and you can cut the middle head and then have some regrowth um, sprouting. Um, there's a purple uh, broccoli that's gorgeous. Um, a lot of times we don't have enough fertility um, when crops are working hard. They're just starting to, to 
bud and that head is starting to form, that's the time to feed them. Give them a shovel full of compost or a dilute fish emulsion. Uh, Those are some uh, great tips um, about uh, growing those plants. Um, So I guess we should get very quickly to what's going on uh, at the garden right now, the Chicago Botanic Garden. It is the Orchid Show. And uh, let me pop this up because the title of it is Untamed. (laughs) (laughs) Untamed is right. I think the focus is um, on orchids that grow where many plants cannot um, so they're, they emphasize sort of the irrepressible spirit of orchids, um, reflecting hope, resilience, and beauty in our unpredictable world. And this is um, a respite for the senses and for the soul to go through um, the tropical um, and all the greenhouses at the Chicago Botanic Garden and view um, a beautiful display of orchids from all over the world. Um, and again, untamed the orchid show. Um, it goes <laughs> until uh, March 27th, which is, um, is fantastic. You can buy tickets on our website. And again, um, the post orchid show is on the 31st of March from nine until four. And I think it's an opportunity to take home your favorite orchids. You can purchase, um, purchase those there. Um, and it's based on your membership level. So if you are a member of the Chicago Botanic Garden, you will have entry at early. Um, so I encourage everybody to, to come to the garden and enjoy. We miss seeing everybody. We had such a great year last year. This year is going to be even better as we celebrate our 50th anniversary. And so I'm, I, I want to see both of you there. I hope you'll come. And uh, uh, Well, yeah, I, 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 I'm eager to get out myself uh, <laughs> and do some things that I haven't done in a while. And by the way, I know that uh, Julie McCaffrey is, is, I'm hoping she's listening. She said she was going to be working mm-hmm. on seeds in her basement today. Um, and yeah, she's, she's your, she's your PR person. And, and I know she's screaming at the, the radio or not the radio, but at, at the computer right now, give them the website. And uh, so it's uh, chicagobotanic.org. So I, I would be remiss if I didn't say go to chicagobotanic.org. But of and course, when you get there, you'll see and click on orchids. You get the whole video tour of the orchid show. But the of preview. course, yeah, you get that. It's right there. And you have all those beautiful shots of the orchids that we just showed here. There are more and there, there are videos of it and they're just fantastic. Um, but you can also go to my website, mikenovak.net. I've got all the links there too. So, uh, that's up. Uh, but I just want to say that, um, uh, Cassandra West just wrote to us and said, learning so much from Lisa, she says, you're her favorite gardening expert. And, uh, um, Cassandra uh, West is a fabulous, uh, gardener and a great supporter and friend. Thank you, Cassandra. It's nice to know that you're listening. Uh, I'm glad she is too. Uh, and, and, and I'll tell you, the tip you just gave is something I had never heard before about the brassicas and, you know, uh, make sure the roots are still actively growing and don't buy, um, uh, plants that have been sitting out, out in the garden center too long. I had never heard that before. And that's a fantastic yeah. tip, uh, which, which is, as you say, another reason to grow them yourself, yeah, get the mm-hmm. seeds going. But you did mention that the broccoli can handle the late March temperatures. Do you mean to get outside? Or, I mean, at that point, you want them out by then. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You can plant broccoli in that very early first group of plants that mm-hmm. go in the garden. Um, you can direct sow spinach and radish before then. 
but you can, you know, that first group that goes out um, end of March, early April is when we'll begin to put our broccoli starts out into the garden. And again, those will be very young starts. Right. So get them going right now. Now's the time. If you want to get the broccoli going, yeah, this would be. Four to six weeks for, um, yes, absolutely. It won't won't be four to six weeks. And do the garden math. And so you'll, you'll, yeah. And the other thing is, as you said, be a weather person, pay attention. So if we suddenly go, in, and it doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon, but if we go into a time where we're getting deluged with rain, that's not a good time to plant. Uh, but however, looking at the forecast, um, it looks pretty dry for the next week, certainly. Um, and that might be a, an opportunity to, to think about what's going on in your yard. And let's see if it continues for a longer period than that. Um, so, uh, all right, folks, everybody head out to the Chicago Botanic Garden, the 50th anniversary celebration this year. Go visit, go harass uh, Lisa Hilgenberg. <laughs> <laughs> we but need you- your support, and I'll see you in the garden, and um, good growing to both of you and to everybody listening. Um, fantastic, and and good luck uh, this year, and I... Uh, and I hope that uh, everything bounces back from uh, pandemic uh, madness. Uh, it's, it's about time, I think. Uh, Lisa, thank you so much. Have a great Sunday. Thank you. All right. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. More to come. Please stick around. Well, it doesn't get much better than this. This is a 150-year-old American elm. Its canopy gives some of the best viewing points of the Nantucket Harbor. You just need to climb to the top for the best view. My name is Jim Cook. I'm an arborist in the Nantucket, Massachusetts office. I have the pleasure of taking care of this beautiful elm. Back in 2006, I had just been hired to be an IPM tech and climber for the Bartlett Tree Experts Company. During the winter of 2006, I had the opportunity to climb and prune this elm. It was a difficult and challenging job. I have climbed it a few times since, and each time is a very fantastic experience. And the best part, when working the east side of the canopy, the views of the harbor and Brent Point Lighthouse become epic. I will be the first to tell you that I love my job. I love being an arborist in a beautiful place like Nantucket. It's awesome. It is trees like this that stand out in my mind is the primary reason I chose arboriculture as a profession. But this elm in particular is my favorite tree and I just wanted to share that with you. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from tiny biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks at blazing-star.com. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sips-on of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by... Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. 
What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn and there goes the Whoa. music. Oh, forgot that. <laughs> See, there's always there's always one button you don't set properly uh, before. Now, now that's two for today. I along to the tune. It was like, whoa, wake oh, up. Okay, <laughs> hello. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Nowak Show with Peggy Malecki. Um, I'm looking at a tweet that uh, I got uh, tagged in by uh, Local Foods Cook County, part of the uh, uh, extension, um, uh, Illinois extension. Sarah. And uh, probably, probably Sarah, um, and um, they're doing a, something called the Buy Can series. Uh, it's Buy State Conservation Action Network, uh, and uh, they um, it's called Nature is Local, and there are going to be three seminars about growing native plants, uh, March third, which is Wednesday. Enrich Your Yard with Native Plants will be taught by Amy Loving, uh, and um, she's the, uh, the Nayant March Education Center. Uh, then on the 10th, Prairie Establishment and Maintenance Techniques, uh, Brian Burkholder, Scott County Secondary Roads, and then the 17th, by state Resources and Funding, Scott James U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So if you're interested in Native Plants, um, and or putting a prairie together. Um, the times are 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Central. And I need to put this link. It is uh, um, it is HTTPS colon... Oh, I, I, if I do that, that's just going to drive you crazy. It's basically go.illinois.edu slash nature is local. I don't know if you have that. Find it. And- it uh, it's it's on Twitter. So they they tweeted uh, uh, us uh, earlier, and uh, I just happened to see that, and I wanted to make sure that folks uh, got to know about that. Um, and so it's uh, as I say again, it's go.illinois.edu/slash/nature-is-local, um, and uh, Peggy will will get that up there if uh, if you have an interest in that. And speaking. Of prairies, um, March first is Tuesday, and that has been the date that uh, uh, the folks at uh, the uh, Chicago Rockford International Airport Authority have said they uh, will stop considering the uh, <laughs> the prairie and maybe bulldoze it. Um, I forget exactly, you know, they had, they suspended things, uh, until March 1st, uh, last fall when, um, it was revealed that there were, there was a, a federally endangered bumblebee, the rusty patch bumblebee, uh, on land. And so, uh, and this thing is still in the courts. Um, it's, uh, and there have been meetings and I, and, and folks have gone to uh, protests about it. Uh, there was one last Thursday in Rockford because there was an airport board meeting and folks are still trying to keep the, the prairie from being built, bulldozed. And um, will it happen on Tuesday? It's kind of anybody's guess because the, uh, the chair of uh, the board uh, has been making noises that Basically, they can do anything they want. 
Um, yeah, they're not listening. Well, they're not. They're not talking they to. They don't want to. Nope. They don't even hear. It's, la, la, yeah. la, 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 Wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We we know what's uh, what's going on there, right? Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, so uh, I got a, a, an email from uh, Domenico D'Alessandro, who has uh, been on the show, and, and he's a, a landscape architect, and he's uh, has uh, put together some ideas about what, how things could work uh, so that the airport could still expand because they want to expand. They have all this money. They claim that they're, they're well into it and it can't be stopped because it's a steamroller. Um, but uh, he has uh, uh, come up with some ideas about how it might be changed. These are not official by any chance. It's just one guy out there saying, hey, have you considered this? Have you considered yeah. this? And of course the airport authority says, we don't even want to talk to you about this. Uh, and he doesn't represent anybody but himself. They, they, but, they don't even say go away. Right. They don't even say that. Yeah. It's, that that's absolutely true. So it's he's la, la, la. Yeah. Uh, he sent me some photos uh, or graphics basically about what's going on. And, and his consideration is that, Nobody's paying attention to how much this is going to cost. Um, that they're, as he says, they're interested in the poetry of it and not the finance of it, the economics of it. And I kind of get that. Um, that's the way people write. It's poetry. But I am sort of surprised that um, more of the reporters uh, have not focused on the financial aspect of it. And so he sent me, one of the things he sent me, uh, Domenico, was this chart. And it's hard to see, but uh, you might be able to read some of it. He says, uh, these are, okay, let me put up something else first before I I send you that chart, because it's this. And what he tells, shows me is that if you look, there's a 39-foot difference in elevation. Um, If you look at the northern part of that red arrow, on this graphic, that's kind of where Belbo Prairie is. And then if you look in southern at the, uh, the bottom part of the arrow, that's a floodplain. There's 39 feet difference. And what he's, and you can see the airport um, runways on the right-hand side. If you have a runway, you're not... down towards the river. Yeah. One of the things you can't do is... is, is it's, it's got to be on flat ground. It, it's level, okay? To I, I assume you, you're not going to have an airport where... Uh, uh, the the ground is not level. So what he's saying is that to make up for that difference, you'd have to spend a lot of money to to do it. Uh, so this chart says that uh, it, he did soil calculations to attain level ground in floodplain with a, a grade of existing runways and taxiways. So one acre is forty three thousand five hundred and sixty square feet. He says the average fill depth would be thirty feet. The volume per acre, 1,306,800 cubic feet compacted soil. And he goes on and on and on. Uh, talks about the, the volume per truck and number of loads, which would be 4,840 20-ton uh, uh, dump trucks. The cost per load, $240, may vary according to fuel costs and other considerations. So he says it puts it the cost per acre at... Uh, $1,161,600 per acre. 
uh, just to level that. And is this accurate? I don't know. Uh, this is his numbers, uh, but it might be. And uh, it wouldn't, gee, wouldn't it be nice if the, uh, the uh, folks at the airport authority would actually say, here's what's going on. And, and he even sent me, you can see the little red squiggle in the middle of the screen there towards the left center is Belbo Prairie. And, uh, you know, Domenico has some ideas about how things might be done. The point being that it's not uh, just about him and what he's doing. It It is, are, is anybody going to listen? Is anybody going to sit down and talk to people who might have alternate ideas? Is anybody going to do that? And it doesn't look like they're going to do that. Um, he writes, and this is kind of interesting. And, and it's so puzzling as to why. Yeah. I mean, other than the, their minds are made up, the money's been paid, etc. It's just. Yeah. Um, but he's, he says the cost per acre could be a little less of the airport authority haggles given the large volume involved, but it will never be less than the $8,000 per acre cost of already flat ground with excellent road and rail access. Um, he's, he has this idea that swapping out land and whether that will work or not, again, I don't know. It's just that nobody's talking. There's, there's no communication here about this. It's just their, their eyes are set on bulldozing the prairie. Um, and he says, we are being asked to commit ecocide and pay over a million dollars per acre to bury the floodplain. That is not only ecocide, but an ecological mass grave. To boot, we have not even tackled the impact it will have on the floodway and future flooding events. The airport authority has had since 1994 to figure something out. I had only three months and without much time for research. I strongly believe that only focusing on the empathy for natural ecosystems is lost on the airport authority, which has been trying to obliterate the prairie numerous times. And he goes on uh, and, and, and says that. So I just wanted to make sure that that got mentioned as well, which is there are other considerations, yeah, other than the endangered species and the threatened species, and there are a number of threatened species in that area. There's the uh, the moral consideration but what Domenico is saying what about one third of the remaining gravel prairie in Illinois but you know last week the uh, board of trustees in Skokie reiterated their plan to let Carvana build that uh, bird tower of death in in Skokie Um, and they and and once again the room was packed and once again the emotions ran high, and once again, they were the board, they ignored they ignored everybody who spoke, and um, I I I don't get it. Uh, so that's when we've got those uh, stories. We've linked the stories. If you go to my website, um, and activist rally as clock ticks towards March first deadline to save Bilbo Prairie. Uh, the one right after that, Skokie gives final approval to, approval to Carvana Glass Tower near Forest Preserve, despite opponents' fears it will kill birds, and it will. How could it not? As well, <laughs> I, as- I can't even imagine how it could yeah. not. 
Kilbert. As well as the light pollution and the everything else. The list is long. Oh, the tackiness of it in general. It You know, the billboard. Okay, here's a question I have, and I haven't had anybody answer this, and I don't know if it's possible. Again, not understanding all of the politics, but what if a neighboring community wanted to sue Skokie uh, for violating the billboard rule along the Edens? Is that a possibility? Just asking, asking questions. I don't know if that, you know, is that, is the billboard thing, I know it has to do with whether a property is commercial or residential, but there's been sort of uh, a gentleman's agreement, uh, as we say, um, uh, along the, the, the freeway that there would not be billboards. Well, now it's being violated. You know, oh. if, I, if I'm one of the other suburbs, do I like start slamming? stuff up there too and say well you guys did it with carvana why can't i do it yeah that's what I, you know is that going to just start the ball rolling of well that's technically not a billboard so we can put our own whatever up yeah, yeah let's hope not um and then your friend uh, wrote the story about when public land should be sold and this is the whole issue um in waukegan about uh selling land adjacent to the airport, expanding the airport there um, and doing a swap. Um, yeah, and, to create uh, a different situation, that's creating a buffer. But yeah, same, same, different. You know, it's not paving it over, but it's still removing and selling. Yeah, and that's uh, Cheryl DeVore, who's been on our program, who writes for the uh, the Chicago Tribune. Um, and a lot of people are concerned about that. What What is the precedent it sets now as she writes in her article this has been done many times and sometimes it's actually worked it's actually been to, to benefit natural areas but um we're the we're running out of open space it's finite um and uh it can only we can only do that so many times um so there there's going to be i got a feeling that that's going to be um controversial up there. Um, so uh, if you want to read about that, you know, we also have that link uh, on, uh, on the blog post. Um, what else? Uh, there was um, something else oh, that yeah. I was... And I can't remember. Oh, what we else? Were... Well, we've got One Earth Film Festival in Wild oh, and Oh, right. Which okay, good. Mentioned. Yeah. Yes. Um, One Earth Film Festival, of course, we want to remind people that that's going to start this. Uh, uh, the third would be, that's Thursday, right? Thursday. Yeah. Thursday. That's the 11th, 11th annual One Earth Film Festival with a Turn the Tide theme. It's actually March 4th through the 13th. Starts on the 4th is the opening party, um, which is virtual and in person at the plant. And then... Uh, some of the events are going to be virtual. Some will be in person. Some will be a mix. Um, you can go to oneearthfilmfest.org for more yeah, information I, on I that. Up and I, I think it's actually the, uh, boy, if this, if, I wish my computer. Yeah, March 4th through 13th is the official dates with, with the uh, 4th is the launch gala. Uh, there could possibly be something before that. I'm not sure. Um, I'm... Just, yeah, it is know, four, I, fourth through thirteenth, right? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And the Young Filmmakers Contest Awards will take place virtually on March 12th. Um, the Young Children's Short Film Program Virtual Watch Party slated for 11 a.m. March 5th. And yeah. And there's it's free, but a suggested donation of $8. And Cassandra just posted Friday. She confirmed the fourth. Yeah, yeah, Friday. Sorry, Cassandra. I had in my head. Yeah. The, but, uh, yeah, they... Uh, have uh, the uh, Young Filmmakers Contest, which we actually haven't mentioned uh, to this point. Yeah, um, I'm, 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 I'm cheating. I'm reading my news brief. Oh, you can read it from. Uh, well, go to uh, Natural Awakenings. Within Natural Awakenings. <laughs> and where can people get Natural Awakenings, Peggy? Go to nhchicago.com. Read it online. The February issue will be going live um, tomorrow. And uh, you can, it's already out in distribution, starting distribution throughout city and suburbs. Um, we've started. We're not done with that yet. Or sign up for the e-newsletter, again, at nhchicago.com. Um, another one, again, um, is the Wild and Scenic Film Festival brought to us by the Evanston Environmental Association. And the Mike Novak Show is a media sponsor for that as well. That is March 11th, 7 to 9 p.m., um, Tickets are at an evanstonenvironment.org slash filmfest. And that's, that's a one day or one evening festival right. of a variety of shorts. Right. Short um, it, and it's a, it's a hybrid event as well. Yeah. Um, you mm-hmm. can e- either go online or go to Rotary International uh, at fi- 1560 Sherman Avenue in Evanston. From 7 to 9 p.m. Yep. And it's, uh, it, tickets are $10 for individuals, $18 for groups, and um, there's a higher level as well, and it is a benefit for the, Envir- the Evanston Environmental Association. So, and you can go to www.evanstonenvironment.org uh, slash filmfest. So, www.evanstonenvironment.org slash film fest and for the one earth just go to one earth film org. so uh we hope folks will take advantage um uh, of both of these if they can yeah. um now there's uh i'm just looking through some of the other news that came in and and one yeah that- i'm trying to find my uh um the the race to save winter that was a national geo Oh the yeah, that's article. well. We talked about that with uh, Rick DeMaio, and yeah, uh, but this is in the Alps. This isn't just where the Olympics are. It's the same problem in the Alps. Well, but I think he he alluded to that uh, throughout the planet, and that there are places that used to have um, mm-hmm. uh, snow that don't get it. And this was in National Geographic, and um, this is uh, in in the Alpine countries. Uh, boy, there. Uh, they're doing weird stuff like uh, throwing blankets over ice flows to keep them to to reflect yeah. the sun and keep them from melting. But you know, it's a it's Saving a lo- snow from one season into the next. Yeah, it says even at ten thousand feet, counting on natural snow has become too risky. Um, mm-hmm. So um, it's. Uh, the, they have uh, slope maintenance crews preparing for the season. Um, they're spending another month covering the mounds with fabric to insulate them over the summer. This is uh, 
when the new season begins, if it's too warm for fresh snow to fall or even for artificial snow to be made, dump trucks and groomers will spread old snow on the slopes. So if they can save it from one season to another, which just seems insane in the Alps, um, uh, it, uh, so they, uh, they say figuring out how to stockpile snow on this scale hasn't been easy before the crew started stitching the panels together. Wind gusts sometimes ripped them apart, uncovering the mounds. Other times the fabric, uh, froze solid into the snow. Everything that could go wrong has, mm-hmm. says one of the workers yeah. there. And it says uh, one or two degrees of, of global warming or one or two degrees of warming may not sound like much, but it can determine whether precipitation falls as snow or rain. Turn up the temperature just a notch and snowflakes may never form. That's why the Alps are in trouble, says Yves Lejeune, the scientist in charge of the Meteorological Observatory in the Alps. Um, sorry, I keep having the ads popping up. Um, Don't you love that? Isn't that isn't that yeah. attractive when you go to a website and you just can't even read anything because the ads just keep popping up? Yeah. Because a lot of the Alp areas were plagued by a series of snow-scarce winters in the 80s and 90s. Machines that make snow became the Alps' first line of defense. In lower-lying regions, millions in investments seem justified to guarantee a steady tourism season. Winters with light snow were assumed to be outliers back then. But data proves they weren't. And it goes on to talk about how the data is just showing less and less snow hitting in the Alps and sticking around. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll mention that to Rick. And Rick sent us some, uh, a good article also um, about uh, the use of um, fossil fuels uh, in the wake of this war going on in Ukraine. I found out something really interesting that I sent to Peggy uh, yesterday is that uh, we use Restream to send out our signal. Um, and um, so we, we, we do the signal here and it forwards it to Facebook and I meant Schmetta book uh, and uh, YouTube <laughs> and Twitter and wherever else we send it. Um, turns out they're a Ukrainian company and they sent out a letter yesterday that I got about how Everybody's safe. They moved uh, some of their business out of Ukraine before the trouble started. Uh, I had no idea that they were a Ukrainian company, um, and, and that's very, very interesting. Yeah. So um, our um, our best is with them and with uh, their friends and family in Ukraine. Um, and you know, I, I, if we were a, a political show, I, w- I would say something, but it's 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 horrifying is what it is. It's just horrifying to watch it. Um, but back to the environment. Yeah, Rick, Rick, yeah. yeah, Rick's got a few yeah. articles I'm sure we'll be talking about of the environmental effects of this. Yeah, and there and are going the to be... Oh my God. Well, what's, what's going to happen is it's going to scare everybody going right back to gas and oil. This is the first yep. thing that's oh, going to happen. Yeah, yep. I've seen headlines already about opening up for drilling again in anything from the offshore to the Arctic Wildlife Refuge. Yeah, well, well, we can't possibly uh, go, go with uh, clean energy now. Uh, the world's at war. Um, and so, you know, one thing or another, it's always one thing or another that uh, we, we, we can't go to clean energy. We're in a pandemic. We can't go to clean energy. We're in war. We can't go to clean energy. We're stupid. Uh, so, um, but here's a, here's a, 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 a hopeful um, article and and for those of you who don't we, understand we, why you we need one. yeah we need one here 
don't understand why you're recycling your your Xmas tree. Um, I don't even know how I stumbled upon this, uh, but um, Christmas trees dropped off for recycling in Glenview Parks after the holidays will become a habitat for fish in Lake Glenview this spring. Uh, earlier this month, contractors for the village pulled some of those trees onto the ice of a frozen Lake Glenview. When the ice melts, which could be as soon as this week, with high temperatures expected to reach 50 degrees, the trees will sink beneath the waves of the lake. When the lake is restocked with as many as 7,000 fish this spring, the trees will serve as a habitat for the fish. Uh, Other trees not sent to the depths of Lake Glenview will be ground to mulch for use in Glenview Parks and other sites. Uh, and now this is an entirely man-made lake or hum- human-made or person-made. Yeah, when they closed Glenview Naval Air Station, um, part of it was, I, actually, I think where the, I think the article said where the runways were was uh-huh. turned into a lake. Yeah, it's 45 acres. Um, it, the average depth is 16 feet and uh, 19 feet deep at its deepest point. The lake freezes over during cold winters and fish need to be restocked every spring. I did not know that. Um, so that's, well, probably because it's isolated from everything. Uh, uh, it'd be interesting to get a uh, a fish person uh, to talk about how, how that works. But the... Ichthologist? Uh, uh, what? I think it's an ichthologist. I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, I think you might be right. Um, something, uh, pescadoodle, a pescadoodle, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and get them to talk about that. But that's, that's cool. And, and see, there are, there's more than one use for your discarded Xmas tree. Um, and, uh, just please don't throw it into the landfill. Uh, okay. And there's one more that I don't think we're going to get to, uh, but, um, it's the headline from CBS was humans are driving a rare Texas plant that serves as an important food source for bees and butterflies to the edge of extinction. It's a, it's a milkweed. It's a Texas milkweed that is basically because it, it, it exists on, on the margins in Texas is, uh, being extirpated from the state. And once that's gone, it probably won't exist. Um, again, by bulldozing. Yep. Exactly, and don't even, and we haven't even gotten to the, the 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 butterfly center that has had to close because of the nut jobs running around in our country right now. Oh well, all right. Well, boy, let's on uh, that right note. On that really, I, I just feel so much better. I and, it. and I said, and, spring's coming. The red winged blackbirds are back. That's right. And what's the? Please give me the sound. What is the call of a red winged blackbird? Oh, I can't do a red winged blackbird sound. It's it's a multi-tone what i can't and you can't do the uh tibetan uh, dual vocals as well you can't no. do any of that stuff all right no all right um speaking of the one earth film festival take a look at this and we'll be back with meteorologist rick DeMaio. Because you are not going to be able to do it. 
Harus berani bersuara dan harus berani berpendapat atas And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, we're watching. There he is. Um, Good morning, Rick. Good morning. Jack. Sorry. <laughs> hey, no, Jack, let, just go ahead. Yeah, there you go, dude. Right, hey, go ahead, oh, Jack. <laughs> yeah, he wants to go outside. Look at him. He's looking out the window and saying, hey, how come I can't be out there? It's going to be a nice day. Yeah, want me to make him bark again? Sure. Well, can you do that on the demand? Who's that? <laughs> that didn't work. It's not yeah, easy peasy. Of course not. How are you guys? Okay, how are you? Good. Nice bright sunshine you ordered up for us today. Oh, God, yeah. Nice and bright. A lot of albedo out there right now. Yeah, and we're almost at the, the uh, first day of March, and so lots of mm-hmm. – my half of my yard now is uh, out of the shade. Um, it, and so, uh, we were talking about that with Lisa Hilkenberg from the Chicago Botanic Garden earlier. And I'm, I have to wait until the sun hits a certain point in the yard before I can plant certain vegetables. Um, and, uh, we're getting there, uh, slowly, yeah, but just, surely. just raise it up. How about that? You're right. Just raise Why up not? the yard. Yeah. Well, the sun is nice and warm. <laughs> well, as she pointed out, one right. of the things I can do is I can put things in containers and move them around to where the sun is too. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if you know how um, uh, ancient cultures, 
you know, did a lot of their farming in mountainous areas. It was all that stepped farming. Uh, not mm-hmm. only did they, you know, kind of angle things towards the sun, but they figured yeah. out how to get the water to drain from one area to another. So, uh, and here we come into the United States and we make everything flat. So that it floods, but that's what happens when you mechanize things, right? I guess. And, uh, you know, you said, as we were talking just a little couple of minutes ago about that uh, article you sent about the war in Ukraine and what that's going to do to the oil and gas, uh, yeah, de- and, demand. And I think more so, yeah, more so wheat, uh, wheat's up almost, I think about a penny and a half, um, in the last couple of weeks and Russia and the Ukraine, collectively supply about a third of the wheat, um, you know, worldwide. So clearly that's going to have an impact uh, first on, you know, Western Europe, more Eastern Europe. France is the largest producer of wheat um, in Europe. Uh, But obviously that's going to put more pressure on, you know, China, Brazil, and then, of course, here in the United States. And I think the article I sent was all about um, just like if you just look at Nebraska, a lot of the Winter wheat's already been planted. Um, then you'll have, I mean, wheat's kind of weird. You can have winter wheat, spring wheat, um, summer wheat, uh, different types of grain, you know, comes out of that. I'm not an expert on all that, but I know that uh, people who look at that, um, obviously you're looking at uh, drought conditions having an impact, uh, flooding conditions. And right now it's very dry in the areas where you typically grow a lot of your spring wheat. Um, and yeah. that's going to be some concern as we head into the springtime. Yeah. Going, going back to Ukraine briefly. Um, this is off of Reuters. Ukraine's a key wheat exporter to Middle Eastern and Mediterranean importers, including Egypt, Turkey, Italy, and African countries. Yeah. Cause again, so, those, those places, they don't, they don't, they can't grow it as, as much as you can in some of the countries where you can have, you know, maybe two or three crops. I think what Peg was pointing out is that even though you could grow it, um, in certain parts of the country or certain parts of the world, you still need to import it uh, to provide with uh, the different types of either it, whether or not it's grain going back into mm-hmm. the belly of the animals or just, mm-hmm. you know, a, a byproduct, um, yeah. you know, like what you have in, uh, you know, breads and, and, you know, and things like that. And, you know, corn is going to be there as well, but, you know. Yeah, and you, Ukraine that, also, it says Ukraine exports half, of its sunflower products like seeds and oil um, and yeah. it sells a lot of corn as well. So, and yeah, that you- was another, that was, that was another thing. Think of, think of the Ukraine um, as literally twice the size of, of the Midwest. I mean, it's an, it's an enormously large country mm-hmm. um, and it's in that same, you know, temperate zone that they'll get, you know, moisture coming in off the Eastern Mediterranean um, off the Black Sea, parts of the Caspian Sea, you know, they don't get the, you know, the huge, you know, amounts of Gulf of Mexico moisture that we do here in the United States. Uh, but they're in that area. I mean, it was always called the breadbasket. Um, they used to call it White Russia because of the fact that it grew so much, you know, grain. But as Peg pointed out, sunflowers as well. I mean, you drive across oh, yeah. South Dakota. Hey, you drive across South Dakota in like late July. It's all sunflowers. It's amazing what that what that state can grow because it's mainly a dry crop. Um, so if you can get, you know, wheat and sunflowers uh, in a particular area and then you times it by five, that's basically what the Ukraine has. Um, in addition to that, natural gas standpoint, Russia is the largest 
um, reserves of natural gas in the world, in the world. And one of the reasons why they have not capitalized on that um, and uh, Iraq, is it Iraq or Iran? It's Iran. I think Iran is number two. Um, one of the reasons why those two countries have not capitalized on their reserves is they've been too busy fighting amongst themselves. So the, the industrial revolution of the 20th century or post-World War II never occurred in Russia and it never occurred in Iraq. Um, I keep saying Iraq, it's Iran. Um, and because of that, you know, their natural gas continues to sit um, and they're not doing anything with it. Now, Russia did do something with it, with the Nord Stream 1 and then the Nord Stream 2. And it was back in the middle of December, not December, January, that the Biden administration decided not to sanction uh, Nord Stream 2. Um, that was because they were kind of concerned that it was going to have the an impact on yeah, the pipeline. The, the pipelines. Pipelines. Yeah, and Nord stands for North. Uh, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, but they did not want to sanction that second pipeline because um, Germany literally has to import about 90% of their gas and oil. Um, and because it would have hurt Germany in the middle of the winter time, they did not think that that was a good idea. Um, part of the reason why Germany needs it is because a few years ago, Angela Merkel hastily switched off their nuclear power uh, plants or productions of new, they're down to one now, um, because they wanted to go full tilt towards a new, you know, a new green economy, renewable energy, things like that. That's okay, but you still need nuclear. You still need to rely on nuclear. I've been saying this for a long time. Nuclear is zero emissions. So when they when they kind of when they kind of clicked off from that um, and went away from completely relying on uh, coal and and oil. Um, that kind of painted them in a corner, especially when all of a sudden they started to say, well, we, now we have to rely on, on our gas from Russia. And that almost put Putin um, in the driver's seat. So he was, you know, very smart from that standpoint where he knew how to play his cards right uh, by almost pitting people in NATO against one another. So that doesn't mean that I'm supporting Putin. I'm just saying that that action that he took was kind of a smart one. Um, and, in, and in the end, what we're doing now is we're trying to figure out how to not keep Russia in the game of providing natural gas to even though it's already kind of 90% or at least the pipeline is basically done at this point. So the Biden administration just last week um, got the okay from Germany to go ahead and sanction that gas line. Uh, but that was only after it was obvious that, you know, things have gotten so bad in a matter of a week or so that they had to do it. So that's one of the reasons why Biden kind of looked bad from a foreign policy standpoint, because he was playing his cards with the deck that was given to him, which was, I can't just turn this off because what is going to happen to Germany? And Germany was like, uh, you can't do that because we need natural gas during the wintertime. And it's obvious that they that they do. Um, so there's there's a lot of consequences that come out of this from a standpoint of energy and agriculture, um, stuff that you won't read in a book and stuff that you probably won't get from cable TV. You got to be able to sift through news articles and objectively analyze the facts and then come up with, you know, 
um, your own kind of conclusions, and they're not they're not good ones either way. You're well, at. yeah, and and in regard to nuclear, just to, to to add another point of view is because we've had people like Dave Kraft from the Nuclear Energy Information Service on the show, and he would disagree with you that nuclear is needed because you know you say it's a clean energy. The problem is we still have no idea what to do with the waste, and um, until Correct. we can figure that. And although I saw an article just the other day, it looks like more nuclear uh, plants are being considered um, uh, in the United States. Uh, but it's been 40, what, 40 plus years since uh, anything was built uh, in the country. You know, I don't know what the answer is. Um, at some point, I, you know, I'd like to ramp up all the other clean energy uh, before we go relying oh, God, on yeah. nuclear. Yeah. yeah. Now, now here, now here's the thing, because, um, because now that energy is going to be uh, more in demand, do you then ramp up the technology for, you know, renewable energy quicker? Or do you at the same time uh, begin to drill for more oil and natural gas? Well, we know what's going to happen. They're going to drill for more oil and natural gas, regardless and, of, and, of what anybody, you know. open coal plants. Right, right. Because, because the articles because that we're talking about in Europe reopening them. Right, right. Because it's there. So in the short term, um, you have to fix the, you have to put the Band-Aid on the cut, and then the long term, how to figure out how to fix, you know, someone who has, um, you know, high cholesterol, you know, it, you got to You got to do it both ways. Um, you really do, but you, you can't just say, you know, nuclear, because that, that nuclear still is the answer once you figure out what to do with the waste um, in a safe way, it's zero emissions. It, it, it really is. And it doesn't mean that you completely flip off all the switches on it. Um, and again, one of the reasons why I think Germany is in the position that they are, right, they made themselves more reliant on Russian natural gas. And, and that ended up being the wrong way to go, unfortunately. And look where we are right now. Well, speaking of... Uh, Ukraine, you sent something that's uh, pretty interesting here, and that is the weather map. And there's no weather in Ukraine now, so uh, just uh, letting you folks know. That, so well, no, be, no weather being reported. Right. Okay. No, I know, but uh, it's it's just weird to not have anything there uh, in the middle. And 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 what's the what's the cause of that? I mean, obviously a war, but uh, is it not? possible to get uh, conditions, report conditions from uh, the country? Yeah, well, well, the way that observations are from airports, um, so the airports are actually um, collecting the data in any normal way. First off, you can't land an airplane um, in instrument flight rule conditions unless you have a weather report, all right? So the weather right now has actually been pretty good. Um, across the Ukraine, it's expected a little bit more cloudier and maybe some snow by the end of the week. So that's going to slow down um, any ability for Russian forces air attacks. I know it sounds weird that I'm talking about this, but war games is really all based on your conditions from a standpoint of weather. They really are. Um, and if you don't have observations uh, or any forecast, you can't land. You can take off pretty easily but you can't land airplanes. So all of those reports that you'd see at the other sites around the uh, rest of Europe and Asia are from functioning airports um, that have 
information going from the automated surface observation sites um, to the real world. I have not seen a map like that other than pre-1990 when the Soviet Union was in play and you had literally no reports coming out of Russia, um, coming out of the Soviet bloc countries, coming out of China, uh, coming out of North Korea. When I first started at United Airlines, there was no data over China. There was no data over Russia. You didn't fly over Russian airspace. If you remember uh, 1983, Korean Airlines flight 007 was shot down because it had drifted into Russian airspace. Uh, 236 people were killed. I mean, murdered, literally murdered, um, because they they drifted into Russian airspace. Now you have all of these, uh, literally every country in the world now provides weather data except for one, and that's North Korea. So I always show my students, I'm like, look, North Korea's got no weather. And any other day when I'm noticing, I'm like, holy smoke, there's nothing coming of Ukraine, which is all, it's the largest country in Europe. Yeah. So when you look at that, it's its very sad. It, it, it really is sad. Um, and then on top of that, you have people like Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson, and Mike Pompeo praising Putin's shrewdness for how he will go into the Ukraine um, and pull off what he did. Now, before mm-hmm. I said Putin was smart from what he did from an energy uh, standpoint, but that by no means says that I support him in any way. Um, he he knew him from that standpoint, but but being that you you find his ta- tactics to be admirable, basically to says that you don't agree with you know anything related to democracy, um, and those people should have their heads handed to him, as my mother would say. Uh, wow, and uh, and I will just I'm just going to issue this once. Just say this once. You're you're annoying at least one of our viewers uh, by saying by calling it the Ukraine. It's Ukraine. Um, just so uh, old habits die hard um, is is all I'll say about that. I'll, but, I'll let the viewer know that my that my mother's parents were born in 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 the Ukraine. So that makes me fifty percent Ukraine on my on the oh, other really? side. Really? So. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah, my mother's Ukrainian. Oh, okay. Oh, and speaking of and the one thing I saw that was really interesting the other day, I've been, I was watching a bunch of videos coming out of uh, Ukraine, and uh, there was this woman, middle-aged woman, walks up to a Russian soldier, and and you were talking about sunflowers, and they do a lot of sunflower growing in Ukraine, and yeah. she she had her pockets full of sunflower seeds, and she said, mm-hmm. "I want you to take these sunflower seeds, put them in your pocket, so that when you die and your body rots, we'll at least get something good out of it, and the sunflowers wow. will grow." Yeah, and they've been doing this in Ukraine. They've been walking up to. I saw another uh, video of a guy uh, driving his truck, and he gets to a Russian tank that has run out of petrol. And he stops and he says, well, what's, what's, what's the problem? And they say, oh, we, we have no more gasoline. He says, hey, I can tow you back to Russia. And, uh, and, then, he, and then he drove on. They're just like, they're just sticking it in their faces uh, right yeah. now. The Ukrainians yeah. are, it's really, you know, if you want to talk about a miscalculation, uh, Putin never dreamed that they would stand up to him like this, especially Zelensky, who's going to become a rock star out of this, even you know, and I don't, I don't want him to die. Um, uh, and, and I'm not wishing ill on anything, but you know, it, he could become a martyr, which would make it even worse for Putin. Um, 
So um, it's just uh, remarkable to see them fighting back so fiercely, uh, even though they're completely uh, outgunned at, at this yeah, point. And it's only it's only been a week. You know, these things, you know, change all the time. But, you know, real quickly, um, I remember growing up as a kid, um, every once in a while, my, my dad would take us to um, the west side of Manhattan where all the gigantic ocean liners would go back and forth between New York and Europe. And uh, my dad's parents never drove. They never got a license. They never made it past eighth grade. So my, both of my father's parents were born in, you know, in Italy and they would go back over every probably five or six years. Um, they were free. They wouldn't get on an airplane. So they got literally on one of those big ocean liners and went back over uh, every five or six years. And it was always the thing that you would go on the boat and you would walk around the ship and you would hang out with them before the boat took off. And there was nothing cooler than watching that gigantic ship pull out of one yeah. of those piers with a big horn going, mm, 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 mm. and you'd wave. Um, Everyone, yeah, and, like in the movie. And then, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then the odd thing is that my mother's parents um, were never able to do that. They always like, went, wow, you guys get to go back to your home country. Um, they oh. were because the Ukraine obviously um, was either post-World War II or part of the Soviet bloc. So it was interesting growing up as a kid seeing one side of your grandparents being able to go back to their homeland and the side, um, unfortunately, before the Iron Curtain fell, or they were just too old at that point. Uh, but that that is kind of it, – it, it's kind of a history lesson that a lot of people are learning how important um, Ukraine – we always just go say the Ukraine is fine. Um, but if the person wants to be annoyed, I'm okay with that. Um, uh, how important it is to not only the, the history of, you know, agriculture and what it means from an energy standpoint. Um, and then, you know, how that's going. I, it was just amazing to hear people. I always like to listen to right wing radio and hear this idiot on 560. The answer that they have people call it and say, boy, I wish people would have had as much, regard for the truckers protesting in Canada as they do for the people in Ukraine. And I'm thinking to myself, the two are nothing even remotely comparable at this point. And it shows you that, I, you know, the, the feeble-minded, as long as they have to get a chance to be on the radio, they feel empowered. Um, and sometimes that, that could be a bad thing because other feeble-minded people will feel the same way. Yeah. Well, yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's get into, uh, some of the weather that we've been dealing with. We had some snow this past week and, um, here's a, it wasn't, you know, a big event. Although I had probably three to four inches here in Logan square. I, I know it because yeah, I, sho- I shoveled like five walks in my, because no, it was weird. It's people were, for some reason they looked at it and went, eh, it's not enough show, snow to shovel. So I ended up shoveling yeah, like. It's going to melt anyways. So yeah. yeah it, well, it, it pretty much did by the next day. So, but it was good exercise. Um, I, I think, you know, as this winter goes, this was probably our third largest snow. So, I mean, so seasonal snowfall, which is interesting, was well below normal from that area just between southeast Iowa and St. And the last three big snows have crossed that one particular point. So 25 to 30 inches have now come down across parts of central Illinois. Uh, A lot of wetness in the last 30 days in this area as well. 
Um, and even though we got some decent snow out across portions of Nebraska and South Dakota, um, it's it's very it's very low amounts. So that whole area that continues to be dry um, will remain dry. So again, areas of southern Wisconsin, southeast Wisconsin, where you have basically severe drought, um, did not really get much moisture out of this. Again, only about two tenths. But again, if you look at that area from northern Texas up into the Oklahoma Panhandle, southwest Kansas, northeast um, Nebraska or northeast New Mexico and southeast Colorado, this is the area that if you go back to your history book uh, in the mid-1930s, this was where you had the beginnings of the Dust Bowl. Right. And the Dust Bowl was rooted from the fact that farmers in this area were pressed into growing more wheat because of the um, stress, the political stress that was going in Europe at the time. So if you think about it, it's in early to mid-1930s, um, the same sort of political unrest that's going on now, maybe not to a, such a great degree, uh, is forcing or at least will force some of these farmers to grow more wheat. Now, back then, they just kept saying, well, whatever works Whatever didn't work this time, we'll try it twice as hard the next time. And then they doubled down, doubled down, doubled down. By the time we got to 1936, they realized that this ain't working. Um, now, granted, that's not going to happen again, but it is kind of interesting that the same areas that are in to have more wheat grown are currently under um, stress. Uh, now, granted, parts of northwest Kansas and Nebraska are doing okay uh, but it is kind of interesting to be able to use this um, as a history lesson for students, which, yeah. of course, you've probably done already. Yeah, well, uh, and I'm struck by looking at this map that fully two-thirds of the country is in some kind of drought situation. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, out, outside of, you know, that early season snow in California and the fact that the Pacific Northwest got pummeled, um, and, of course, most of the area over the eastern United States has been fairly wet, um, there has not been much relief. Was it expected? So typically when you get into these La Nina events, uh, you get that jet stream that comes in from the north. Um, you know, we had a very dry, warm November and December. Um, and even though you may get some decent snows in January and February, you know, you're not going to get the same amount of water out of them as you will with the rain system. Now that could change because the pattern does look like it's going to produce some wetness coming up here over the next two weeks. Uh, but right now what we have is, you know, like you said, Mike, uh, two-thirds of the country um, at severe, extreme, or exceptional drought in some areas. And uh, here's the uh, month of February in our neck of the woods. Yeah, the 30-day. You can see there's been very little in the way of any, you know, appreciable moisture over Iowa. And you can almost kind of see where the snow was. Uh, this is also where the... Uh, moisture is, uh, again, I mean, there, there are some areas of southern Illinois, parts of the Ohio Valley, um, where their rivers are uh, near flood stage. Usually you don't get very wet during um, La Nina Springs, but the next two weeks um, and three weeks looks very wet in this particular area. So I would not be surprised if we start to see more flooding uh, situations occur in the lower Ohio and the, the mid-Mississippi Valley for the month of March. Yeah, we were talking, not, a friend, uh, we had a conference call uh, yesterday here with a friend of ours who lives in Columbus, and she says they're just, it's just 
nasty and wet, and <laughs> they can't seem to get rid of it. Bruce wants to remind you that uh, Canada grows wheat too. So, uh, oh, tons of tons of wheat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm just. Uh, but in Europe, in Europe, I believe France is number one um, from from the European. You know, France is France is literally like California. I mean, they they grow everything. And there, there's Jax. Yeah, he's he's chilling out. <laughs> he's ready to get out there. Okay. Well, I'll let you take him for a walk, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. All right. Bye, hey, guys. So long, Rick. That does it for us. Uh, want to thank uh, Lisa Hilgenberg for being on the show, giving us really great, some fantastic oh, yeah. growing tips uh, for your garden. So start thinking about it. Start planning. Um, thanks to uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Thanks to Basil the dog, Legata the cat. Thanks to Kathleen, who warmed up the coffee a couple of times, and I really thank appreciate all of our viewers. And right, everybody who's, uh, yeah, and, and, and don't forget to subscribe if you uh, yep. get, and, get a chance. go download the podcast and give right. us a rating, please. Right. All right, until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Yeah, uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. <laughs>